Hallelujah. All of these beautiful, 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 beautiful Yeshua's. Is that better? Mm. Okay. Um, I'm such a free spirit. You'll have to help me stay close. I'm better with something that stays on me. So it's a blessing. It's a blessing to spend this Shabbat in worship with each of you. And I just want you to know how very much you are loved. And I know that each one of us represents a story. And some of us are not in places in our stories where we are very thrilled with the chapter we're in. But I just mm -hmm. want to encourage you today because, ooh, there is glory, 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 glory in the worst of what you're going through. Mm -hmm. There's glory in it. And <laughs> I've got the Amen Corner right here. So Father, we just thank you for what you're about to pour out. In spirit, I'm sitting right over there on the floor as I usually do, and you're up here. So for whatever each one of these beautiful issues needs, we receive it right now. Fullness of the outpouring in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, Father. So this week's Parasha is Kadoshim, holy, and I just always am so blessed. By the way, he speaks through my sis, Steffi. It's not an effort. Mm -hmm. It's a promise. So when he tells us to be holy, he's not telling us to strive and do what the Sadducees and Pharisees did. He's telling us to just let him abide in us, and the holiness is in him, and he's in us, and we shall. It's a promise. So we're going to look at... A little bit of everything that we read this week. If we had time to read, and if not, Baruch Hashem. Because the word is in us, it's written on our hearts, and he awakens it, and then we end up thinking and breathing things that we used to have to read in a book or, or yeah. on a laptop. How about that, Chris? So, <laughs> I'm visual. If we look at the Torah in Leviticus 19, and we take a glimpse at what we're looking at in John 8, we can kind of reconcile things in a way that I was blessed to reconcile things because I'm an author, and volume two of this book that he's birthed in me deals with issues like homosexuality and gender identification and all those ticklish things that we're dealing with right here, right now, right Chris? Amen. Yes, we are. And so here at Mishkan, we're very, we're so blessed and humbled to be a loving community that embraces our body as if we are all parts of our body. So if I am not male and I'm female, I'm not segregated. When I'm embraced, I'm embraced by the male part of this body as if female or male. If I'm struggling with my gender, if I'm struggling with my sexuality, if I'm struggling because I was a victim of incest or rape. I'm embraced here at Mishkan in a way that maybe I would not be embraced at other congregations, at least that I've attended in my life. We, we tend to not be judgmental. We tend to just hold each other and let love do what love does. So we don't really need stones here unless we're building altars. I've been here since March of 07, and I've never seen anyone mm -hmm. stoned. Have you, Steffi? Right. Mm -hmm. Never, not a once, not a once, not a once. And sometimes people don't understand that because we are Torah keepers. We just have a wonderful, every Shabbat Torah parade. 
And this is how it gets reconciled. And I've struggled with this because I did not know how to say Torah in a loving embrace until, as Adam and I would have it, my brother asked me to present this week's Torah portion. And then the Ruach Hakadesh was like, there it is. I'm like, oh, so obvious. So this is the reconciliation. This is why we don't need stones. So you look at Leviticus 19 and you see real strict instructions, very specific mitzvah on adultery and homosexuality and bestiality and fornication, incest, uncovering family nakedness and everything related. How does it get reconciled? Why don't we throw stones, Kevin? His love and his sacrifice and his grace comes in. Then we look at Leviticus 19 in a slightly different light. Yes, it's the letter of the law and it's very specific. What we see in John 8 this week is the spirit of the law. And it's an interesting little twist on what happened as those Pharisees and scribes brought this woman who allegedly was caught in the act of adultery. They failed to keep Torah as they presented her to the rabbi. There's a little irony in that, Chris. What do they think they were going to get away with? So Torah states, and help me out here if I'm wrong, that when someone is caught in adultery, you need how many people as parties? One or two or three? At least two? How many people were brought? Just the woman. They didn't follow Torah. So that's the first violation of Torah, as they presented. But they had motives that made their hearts not quite so pure, because it really wasn't about the woman. They were trying to trap Yeshua. These were people who knew that this, this wonderful, wonderful person who was about to lay it all down for them was number one on their hit list. They were just testing him because they always wanted to get him before it was his time. So they violate Torah, and they only bring the woman who was caught in adultery. And they also failed, uh, in a second way, to bring, what do we need to establish a thing? Witnesses. How many witnesses do we need? Thank you. We need at least two. So they failed to bring both parties caught in adultery. They failed to bring two witnesses. So now we have an interesting dilemma where the rabbi knows their hearts. He's already read them, and he knows what's up, Judy. He knows this is not about the woman. He knows this is about the enemy always trying to get him to a place before his time. And he wasn't going to go to that cross until it was his time to go. And they weren't going to take him out any other way except the way that had been preordained from before the foundation of the world when he signed up to come and get us. So lots of violations of Torah portion. And he bends down in the sand. And what does he write? Well, we don't know, but scholars have a little secret that's found in Jeremiah 17.3 that just might be our window. I'm not saying that it is, but it's an interesting study. So let me just, let's just take a little detour and go back to Jeremiah 17 for just one moment. This is why I cheated and brought my laptop. Because even though I'm not online, I just saved everything. So if we look at Jeremiah 17, I think it's in verse 3, it's 13. And I'll just read the exact Hebrew translation. Um, and this is what I understand it to be. Oh Yahweh, the immerser, baptizer of Israel, all those who leave your way shall be put to shame, publicly embarrassed, 
Those who turn aside from my ways will have their names written in the dust and blotted out. For they have departed from Yahweh, the foundation of Mayim Hayim, the waters of life. So, Yeshua the rabbi, who sees right into the hearts, he bends down and he starts writing in the sand. And if we look back at what happened according to Torah, it would be highly likely that the Yeshua who kept Torah was writing the names from the oldest to the youngest of the accusers who violated Torah even as they brought the woman caught in adultery to him. And it's interesting because when we go back into John 8, we read that one by one. one they didn't leave in clumps. You know, there wasn't a hierarchy. It wasn't three at a time who were at the top ranks of the scribes of Pharisee. So you can almost kind of see how this might fit from Jeremiah 73. He writes one name. Ooh, I see my name. I'm out of there. He writes another name. One by one, they left. One by one. And then he finally looks at her and says, well, where are your accusers? It's just me and you. Go and sin no more. So it's really a beautiful thing when we look at the spirit of the law. Because, again... Who knew Torah better than Yeshua? So rather than focusing on the self-righteous ones who felt they were keeping Torah beyond any kind of rebuke, he showed them the content of their hearts and they left. They couldn't answer, they couldn't pick up a stone because I think at some point there's a movement there and they realize for me to stone her, I'm stoning myself. And they just left one by one. So I believe the wonderful link that we see between covenants, between John 8 and Leviticus 19, and when we take a look back into Jeremiah 17, we can understand why we don't need stones except to maybe build a smooth altar to the Lord right now. Because there's this wonderful reconciliation between the spirit of love and the law and the letter of the law. And we shall be able to keep Torah because the Torah keeper lives in us and we become the Torah. And we just don't need the stones. So. We know that we're in the process of him reconciling all of us back to himself. And we know that he doesn't look at my embezzlement of funds from work any different than he looks at the fact that uh, she speeds and she breaks the, the, the speed limit all the time. <laughs> you know, it's all leveled out at the foot of the cross. Whether I'm struggling with homosexuality, whether I'm struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, whether I'm struggling with lying and I can't get one honest word off my tongue, it is all leveled at the foot of the cross. And as he reconciles us back to himself, we're not here to judge, we're here to love. And we just have learned to become very, very patient in the process because love covers, but love heals. And we've experienced this in worship so many times here, people come so broken. We've had people come into the sanctuary bloody, with living wounds on their face. We've seen people come in here with such brokenness that it's tangible. And it's never the finger pointing in the face that has them coming back. It's always the loving embrace. We are, we're very spirit sensitive people. And I always tell people, when you walk into a room, if you pay attention, you'll know who's there before you. You'll know whether you're walking to a place filled with light and love. You'll know if you're walking into a place filled with darkness. I walk into certain churches and as soon as I get in, I have to leave. 
because I can feel the presence of darkness coming up against me. And I know that it's a facade there that I'm going to meet God there, but I want out as quickly as possible. So we're about the loving embrace because we know the spirit, the real Kagadesh, is here and will finish everything that Yeshua already paid for on the cross. And it's a wonderful thing that he challenged me with Leviticus 19 because now I can go back and edit volume two of the book and it's all reconciled. He's wonderful. I never saw that coming, Steffi. So just a little bit about Leviticus 19 and a quick glimpse into John 8. And I want to spend a little time looking at Amos 9. And if you've come here once or twice before, there's something very familiar about verse 11. It's on our bulletin every week. We are the tent. And it was just another one of those aha moments when I'm like, wow, he gave me this little verse to speak about today. So I call it our scripture nickname. And does it, excuse me, does anybody off the top of their head remember Amos 9-11? No, even though you see it every week. Yeah, and, and there's just a beautiful, beautiful history about that that I want to share because a lot of us here today weren't with us when we were back in Pawtucket, Florence. A lot of faces here today weren't present, Michelle, Susan, and Steffi, when this next part of our history took place. And this is really, it just tickles me because we are... We're this little tiny group of Messianic Jew weirdos. And we're in the tiniest state in the country. And Rhode Island doesn't get a lot of respect because it's so tiny. And the bigger powerful states get more delegates and they have more noise making across the headlines nationally and internationally. And yet, he planted us here. And I've known ever since he brought me to Mishkan David that we are on the cutting edge of what he is doing in the kingdom. And we're the little tiny innocent looking group of just uh, we're like the Navy SEALs it's so amazing we look all tiny and frail and you know we're just these broken busted up misfits who got kicked out of all the other religious churches can I get a witness and, and here we are and we're just the enemy knows who we are, but no one else would ever see us coming. Lou, am I telling the truth? And yet, what he gives us, I mean, I know some people here today were probably blessed to come under the anointing, the mantle on Revy Peter and Lisa before they left to begin their life in Haiti. And then, you know, he's just taking us into the whole, the next chapter, just so perfectly timed and ordained under Rabbi Brian and Susie, our reluctant Rebetson. And, um, but if we look back, we can just see he is constantly using us because we will obey first and understand why later. We're so positioned to do crazy, amazing things in the end time. So let's just look at Amos 9:11 for just a moment. So here we are, and I'm from Massachusetts, but because my home is with these hearts, you know, Rhode Island is my home <laughs> mm. as well. So here we are, Rhode Island. We've got a coastline here that's got so many inlets that if you were to stretch it out the way it dips and dips and dips and all these cut-ins when you look at the map of Rhode Island, it's actually longer in miles than any other coastline for any other state, including California, in the nation. Who would have thought Rhode Island? So Adelaide put it on Ruby Peter's heart, our rabbi. 
who and I blessed to, to, to birth Mishkan David. About six years ago? This is the ninth thing. Oh, but oh, this is the, yes, yes, the, the altar, the altar story. Is that about six years ago? It's about six years ago? Yeah. At least. Okay, so here's what he had us do. He was led to have us after worship, every Shabbat, we brought smooth stones, and we have gone to seven critical strategic places on the coastline of Rhode Island to plant altars. We built altars and we've sounded the shofar and we've worshiped Florence and we've prayed and in our hearts, in spirit, in a very prophetic move, you know, because you kind of have to just follow the way it's done in the word, natural spirit, natural spirit. So we've opened up the coastline of Rhode Island. Why? There's going to be an exodus. Where are we going? South. <laughs> <laughs> Adonai knows where we're going. Are we going to Jerusalem? We want to. Are we going to Haiti? Are we going to Costa Rica? We're not sure. But we know one thing. The day is coming when we're going to want to get the heck out of here because this country, I don't have to finish the sentence. We all have our versions of it. We're watching it go right down the drain. And we know that our ability to worship like this and to even have lives where we get to live them out all of those things are going to be challenged really soon because he says so in his word and we're seeing the writing being fulfilled every day in the news, on the internet. We know we're in the end of age. I tell people he's not coming, he's on the way. He's just so close. So we have gone ahead in spirit in the state that was the first one to offer religious freedom. And Roger Williams was kicked out of my home state, Mass Bay Colony, in 1635. Troublemaker, challenging people's authority to steal the land from the native Indians and, you know, all kinds of religious persecution. So he came here and he offered religious freedom. And now, as we know, the door is closing on our ability to be who Adonai says we are here and to have freedom about how we serve him and worship him. Adonai has had this little tiny congregation in spirit, open up the gateway for people to leave this country and go where he will send them to keep them according to his plan before he comes. It's just an amazing thing, this little faithful band of Messianic Jewish misfits has done what maybe no other congregation has done. And so we look at Amos 9, and we understand that whether we get to see the fulfillment of what we did in spirit six years ago, it really doesn't matter. All that matters is that we did it. All that matters is that when we hear his voice and we obey, the reward is tucked into the act of obedience. And it's him to decide who gets to see the manifestation of every act. But the peace that comes with obedience that's worth all the money in the world to me. So bless the Lord. So I love Amos 9, 11, and I'm very thrilled that he's brought me to this place where I can be a part of a body, a body that is not stuck on people and roles and dogma and doctrine and religious holidays, but we've gone back to his original ways and the blessing that 
is constantly being poured out. Just because we do our best to walk in the fullness of the Torah is mind-boggling. And, and, and that kind of brings me to something that he put on my heart to share after we did Torah this morning. There's a blessing in keeping Torah, and there's a blessing in releasing those who have decided that they don't want to observe Torah. I'm going to say this again because my sister's not looking at me. There's a blessing in keeping Torah, and there's a blessing in allowing those who have chosen to violate Torah to leave us. And I had to understand this because I live this, and I can just remember Rabbi Peter speaking to me about this. We actually curse people when they're not, when they're willfully breaking Torah. And we don't allow them to experience the natural outcome of that. We're delaying his hand. And he was going to save each one of us. We're all going to be reconciled back to him. There's not a question in my, in my mind. I, I don't understand why people would question this thing. He's sweating drops of blood into the ground in Gethsemane. Everyone's fallen asleep and he knows the hour has come. This thing is so bitter that he's probably close to death even before he begins this long, horrible, ugh. And he's saying, Father, it's in my heart that not one be lost. Elohim, his desire is Adonai's desire. They're one. There's no distinction here. It's not like there has to be a committee between son and father, Chris, and they all have to take a vote. And majority. What he says is what the father says to us. He desires not one be lost. I know that that's the heart of Adonai speaking through his son before his presence has to be withdrawn so that he can have this thing of all of our sins and the weight of everything that anyone has ever done before his time, during his time, and all of us now, between now and when he comes, this thing is horrible what he's about to face. I know we have heard the Father speak through him. I desire that not one be lost. All of the queers, all of the transgenders, all of the homosexuals, all of the idolaters, all of the embezzlers, all of, all of the kinas, we're all going to be reconciled back to him. And so in the meantime, in the meantime, we've been kind of pushed to the, the front of the line here. And not a lot of people understand this language we speak. And not a, not a lot of people in our families understand why we do this thing every Saturday. Not a lot of people understand why we are so thrilled to have experienced what we experienced at Passover Seder the last Saturday night. They think I have lost my mind. Like Rabbi Peter, I come out of the Seventh-day Adventist church, and there are folk who really believe that what they believe is all the truth there is. So if you leave that, if you leave that, now you're looked upon as kind of, you know, a heretic. You had it all and you walked away. Lou, what is that? What is wrong with Pina? So when, when we have been blessed by Adonai to kind of be this quiet Navy SEAL spiritual group of cutting edge in the kingdom folk, we can't expect that everyone is going to be ready to receive it and it shouldn't be offered until the Ruach HaKadosh lets us know it's time for just this one. Right. Because we, again, 
We're getting in the way because something that's presented prematurely is going to be rejected and we can be messing up where if we stayed silent and just did what he's called us to do in his appointed time, in the perfect moment, that husband, that wife, that 25-year-old son, talk about myself, you know, whoever it is that we love and have this burden for, we're not God, he's in us. But he's got the timing, he's got the plan, he's got a pattern for each one of our lives, and we just have to trust him. So, it's following Torah is about walking in the way, as much as for me, it's about staying out of the way. And nobody likes to know it all, and nobody likes somebody who is ramming something down their throat. So it's really, it's important for us to keep this thing sacred and and unto those who he's called. Because I didn't decide that Kevin was coming, and I didn't decide that Erica was coming today, and I didn't decide that Michelle and her whole family was going to be brought into this. We don't have control, and we need to relinquish it. And it's just enough for us to be blessed and have the longing and aching in our heart for those we love to be walking with us. But he's got it. He's got it. So I've learned to leave my son alone. <laughs> I've learned to leave him alone. And I've just learned to just be overwhelmed that Adam and I said seven years ago, you're ready, let's do this. And I'm like, wow, what a privilege. What a privilege to be able to with the Torah every Shabbat. What a blessing to learn more and more. What a blessing to come under the gifts he's poured out of vessels like Steffi and Brian and Susan and, and Lisa and, and, and Peter Oliveira and so many others because when we, when we come together, usually we're a room full of people who have got such heavy anointings that on many Sabbaths, many Shabbats, that that old thing is slipping out, any one of us could be up front teaching. So many of us are just so incredibly heavily gifted of the Lord. But anyway, so I want to make sure that I share a few more key things. I know we worshiped for quite a while today, and it was just beautiful, and the playlist was just such a blessing, Steffi. Um, let me just talk a little bit about brokenness, because he really, really, he had mm -hmm. the most perfect songs towards the end of worship, all in sequence. And Don and I were just amazed at how perfect everything was flowing, and I was actually looking at the words brokenness on screen as the first song came on after the two you played from my request, Steffi. So I think one of the most important things that he placed in my heart as I prepared for today um, was the focus on the, the woman who was caught in adultery, because she just really speaks to the most beautiful things in our hearts. Um, there's a reason why the most messed up people are some of the most beautiful people I've ever loved. I'm talking about people who will look in your face and just lie to you. I'm talking about people who will not keep their vows. I'm talking about people who will do and say the most unthinkable things and yet you can see just like Yeshua qualities in their heart that just draw you to love them. And it just kind of reminds you of how he must feel when he looks at me, <laughs> when he looks at each one of us. We're such a dichotomy. 
We're just like him, and yet we're capable of saying and doing things that are just unthinkable. And the beauty is, in knowing, and she shared it earlier, for years I've just, I've hated what's in my heart. And don't we all have something about us that if we could just stomp it into the ground and kill it, and it would never rise up again, and we could be free of that thing, we could <laughs> do it. But we have to trust God. And so many times we've had these conversations after the erotic benediction where we look at each other and we'll say, ah, I thought he had killed that part of my flesh, and here it came raising up again this week, and it's just so discouraging. But yet, every time it shows up, it's kind of like that thing that happens so many people, at least in my family, they had that surge of life before they died. And, and it looks like they're going to get better and beat the doctor's diagnosis and then the next thing you know you're planning the funeral that's what sin is like it just always tries to have one more last party before it's dead for good and sometimes it parties and dies it seems it parties and dies it seems and, but it's, it's on it's way up and we've just got to be encouraged because again we're not even in charge and lots of times we're not privy, privy to his timeline on when those things that drive us crazy are finally dead for good Back to the broken. The woman reminds me of these most beautiful people that I've loved, the way he loves me, the liars, the cheaters, the addicts, the adulterers, the people who are able to do ugly, unbelievable things that broken people do, and yet remain so beautiful, so endearing, and they're blessed with these amazing qualities that you know are straight from the Father's heart. And they're cursed with sin's dysfunction, just like me and just like you. So let's look at the chosen ones, his closest, his BFFs. They were 70, and they got whittled down to about 12. Let's look at how these people who were chose to be glued to his side morning, noon, and night for the short span of his ministry when he did those amazing, powerful things that prepared him to do what we couldn't do. And perfect life, Let's look at the ones who surrounded him, his armor bearers. Judas, Mr. Judas of Iscariot. He wanted to call him out, kind of like Peter. They were kind of on the same page. They got the same memo that this kingdom needed to be established by force. And I know Judas really believed, if I betray him, I'm going to force his hand and he's going to rise up. Hallelujah! He did not expect the outcome. Wait till I get the money back. Yep. He bought his own burial plot. We think that suicide is the unpardonable. I mean, I'm just speaking from the background that I was raised in, the church that um, was the household of faith in the Drumble family. And I was taught that, oh, you kill yourself, that's it, because you don't get a chance to repent from it. Well, you can hang me, but I don't believe that. I believe that Mr. Judas of Iscarius was born to betray him right. and get him to the cross. Can I get a witness, my brother? Yeah. I believe that he fulfilled his ministry in doing what he did. And that it's as honorable a thing he did as what Mary did. We'll get to her in a minute. But he committed suicide, and we tend to look at that as just like, oh, there's no way out of that. I believe. Say it again, Karen. He who ascended, descended. Not that he was even descended. That Judas was. I don't know. But he, he will test. He will mm -hmm. do it all. 
absolutely, absolutely. And his mind is so unsearchable that we really don't need to worry about right. anything else than this temple, this sanctuary. Right. But so we, we look at Judas and all of his brokenness. How much worse can it get if you're so broken that you kill yourself? How much worse can it get? One of his closest. And as further proof that he was born to do what he did and he died fulfilling his purpose, who sends him out of the upper room to go do it and do it quickly? Who sent him out, Florence? Yeshua. He sent him out. He went out with his blessings. Go do it, honey. It's time. This is what you were born to do. Go, Judas. Broken. Broken. Give us eyes to see, Father. Yes. Then let's look at another sweetheart. And this one, she gets my heart all the time. Seven times over, demon possessed. A disciple prostitute. How many of your former pastors and reverends and priests and rabbis have had an armor bearer, a right-hand person who was a prostitute? Show of hands. Yeah. I didn't think I'd see any. Who was the only disciple who listened to him so intently that she understood the time is now? Who else saved up a year's worth of savings? How much more precious was the money, the shekels, whatever she used to buy that burial ointment? She gave up her body for the one who was going to give his body for us? Huh? Do we ever see this thing with spirit eyes? And these are the people that we think aren't good enough. The demon possessed and the prostitutes and the fo folks who, who attempt suicide. We, we got to see this thing with spirit eyes. The broken, the broken, so beautiful. What kind of courage, what kind of strength did it take for that woman knowing that he came on the fourth day, raised up her brother, one of his best friends, Lazarus, from the dead, and now this is the trigger. Did she, was she privy? Did she know, Chris, that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they had enough? This man has brought someone who was proved by Torah to be dead four days back. We gotta get rid of him. Did she realize that this was it? How did she know that this was her opportunity to anoint him and prepare him for burial? Of all the people who followed him, who survived all the cuts after he said, <laughs> eat and drink of me, uh, that, that message just was enough. So many of the 70s left after that. But this, this precious, uneducated, was she a victim of incest? What happened to Mary that the portal was open for all these demons to keep flooding in? She followed him every time he came into town, and every time he came into town, he had to cleanse her again. And this precious woman, who got it, somewhere around the six or the seven cleansing, I'm guessing, saves a, a, a year's worth of earnings from selling her body and buys the most precious burial ointment and anoints him with tears that no one else could cry. Those tears were so precious. And takes down her hair, another taboo yeah. for a woman who wants to be respected. You don't take down your hair in public and just wipes them. And we look at her now as if that's not what she did for a living. Broken, broken. Father, give us spirit eyes so that we can embrace the beauty of the broken. These were his closest. Now let's take a peek at, at Peter. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Mr. Judas, 
he really felt that this thing had to be done by force. Peter's a big guy. He's probably six, seven, eight feet tall, packing two, three hundred pounds. <laughs> you know, every other word of his mouth was probably a swear. I don't think it just happened the night the cop wrote three times. I think this guy was a sailor. So, you know, we've got a rough-hewn man-man. And he doesn't understand why somebody who's packing all this power is not using it. He's like, we've got the power, we've got the ammo, let's get the job done. And we get hurt when we're betrayed, don't we? And there's a meme that keeps circulating on Facebook every so often about how betrayal, doesn't it hurt because betrayal always comes from someone close to you? Got a news bulletin, it's not betrayal if the person wasn't right by your side. Strangers can't betray you, they don't know you. It has to happen from somebody who's intimate to you. This is why it hurts when it's betrayal by a husband, betrayal by a wife. This is somebody that you gave all your heart to, your body to. This is, it's unthinkable that a mother would betray a son. Somebody who laid inside her body and took life there. It's unthinkable that the kind of betrayals we experience, we experience. But it has to always happen from somebody who's close enough to the heart of us. And Peter betrayed the one he loved the most. He, mm -hmm. he betrayed Yeshua. Why not us? If it happened to him, why not me? Why not you? Are we here to share in his sufferings? Why do we get surprised? Broken, but yet beautiful vessels. You know, in some churches and some religions, you know, they make saints out of all these people. And it's all good, because we all are saints. But when we really look at them for who they are, we see him embracing and surrounding himself with the broken, just like he does today. Baruch Hashem. Broken, 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 broken. And we're beautiful to him, just as these vessels were to him and are to him. We are so beautiful. I just love that. Of the heart with the band-aid and the, and the yeah. stitching. And, you know, here's the thing about brokenness. It's everything. There's a reason why Matthew 5 talks about the people who are the most messed up who get all the good stuff. There's a reason why the people who get despised um, in our society are the ones who inherit everything in his. Brokenness opens us up to get all the stuff that has broken out. A heart that is sealed shut can't release the pain. And we're all born in sin, we're all shaped in iniquity, and we all have generations of dysfunction flowing in our DNA, like it or not. So we don't ask to come the way we come, but we come with the biggest propensity for not only sin, but brokenness. It's just how we arrive here. And the process of not having a hardened heart means that the heart has to open up. And the only way to let a heart open up is to get it open, to crack it open. If we came here every week, and each one of us, however we come, in groups of one or two or families of five or six, if we just parked our cars and sat outside, each in our cars, Steffi with Ab and Judy and Florence and Kina with her music. If we each sat in our cars, Sue and Michelle and husband and wife and mother and son and mother and daughter, if we just sat out there 
and decided we were going to worship in the parking lot. And we never opened up the car doors and came in and opened these doors and became one and experienced his heavily manifested presence here together, would we accomplish anything? We have to open up ourselves to him. We have to literally get out of the car, open up these doors and come in and experience the fullness of being open. And then we need to come in here with our hearts open too or else we can leave the same way we came. If we don't come in here with an open heart, with a humble spirit, it doesn't matter what we know about Torah and how we're dressed and how long we've been studying and how fluent we are in Hebrew. That was amazing today, Paul. That was amazing. If we're not open, the yuck can't get out and his glory won't ever be released either. Brokenness gets the job done. So I maintain that brokenness is not the sin problem. The lack of brokenness is. If you look at those who brought her to him, they weren't broken. They got dismissed. They were found in violation of Torah. The broken one was released and told to sin no more. The ones who left had the opportunity. It's in Jeremiah. They had the opportunity to repent as he wrote each name in the sand, but instead they kept their hearts closed and they just walked away hardened. So who was really better off as the story plays off? The woman caught in adultery, the broken one. So lack of brokenness, as far as he shown me, is the sin problem. And brokenness, how? Now that's God's mysterious cleanse. It's a channel, it's a spiritual enema, it's a detox. Brokenness prevents sin from staying in and hardening our hearts, ruining our relationships and our marriages, messing up our relationships with our parents and our children, destroying our schools, neighborhoods and communities. Brokenness is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Because we live in a world that's really sinful, so it's a requirement to flush out the results of being born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And the stuff we didn't ask for that follows us from generation to generation. So we've got to expose it, we've got to cry out, we've got to beg him to take it all away, we've got to vomit it out, we've got to do whatever he blesses us to do so that he can clean it up and get it out of us. So for me, brokenness is sin's cure. If we let him break us and we let him remove what's hurt and marred and scarred us, he'll detox us, he'll cleanse us, he'll heal us. And brokenness, wouldn't you know, it actually leads to purity. And then the pure in heart are the guys who get to see God. That's right. Hallelujah. So, you know, as usual, everything in the kingdom is the opposite of what it seems, Stephanie. You know, most of us in this, this country, at least, I can speak for, you know, having lived most of my life here, we want to exalt the people who look all perfect. And God's like, mm, not so much, not so much. Bring me your broken and see what I can do with you. So what I walked away with as I looked at this week's parasha on, on being holy, was just so beautifully capped off by what Steffi presented earlier. And for me, in my experience, in my walk with that and I, <laughs> brokenness leads to purity of heart and it leads to holiness. Yeah. And we've got to stop being afraid of this thing. It's the most beautiful thing. Hallelujah. And you're blessed to be in a place where the carpet is waiting for you to lay on it and eat 
it just eat it up. I used to call myself a carpet eater because every Shabbat here, it seemed like for months and years, I was just snobbling and sniffling every week and still go down when he brings me to. So you're in a place where you don't have to remain vertical. You can, as the Spirit leads you, be as broken and lay as prostrate before him as he ever leads you to. And we just welcome, we welcome all the folk who know that they're the woman who gets brought to him. So thank you, Father, for pouring out what you had for your children. Thank you for such an amazing time today in worship. Thank you for all the gifts you poured into us and for the incredible, undescribable, humbling privilege of being your son, your daughter, and serving you. Thank you for your love. You just amaze us. You truly do leave us speechless. So Father, for what you've shared today, plant this in our hearts and wake it up and help us to hear it in the unique way that you created us so that in all of our learning styles, we'll be able to apply this and become this good word and just be really secure in who you are and in what you've already done and allow us just the awesome experience of being broken and detoxed and cleansed so that you can purify us. In Yeshua's name, we bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. We love you. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Hallelujah!